welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of energy. Hey everyone, look, not only do you get awesome weekly content by listening, now you've got a chance to win some serious swag brought to you by Technip FMC. Each week, one lucky listener will win a bundle of gear, which includes everything I'm about to list. Seriously, everything. An audio duffel bag, a Yeti tumbler, an executive power bank power charger, a Columbia neck gator, and a set of Ace Pods 2.0, which are the true wireless Bluetooth earbuds. All you got to do is click the link in the show notes and enter your information to win. Simple. Now go get your swag on. So welcome to this week's episode. I'm here with Stephanie Starr, strategic planning and business consultant and founder of Confident Hope Revealed in Him and fellow University of Colorado student, Denver Business School. Well, I should have asked you this before I even keep going. So I totally apologize. Are you an alum? Because I know you helped us with one of our classes or are you still in the program? I guess I'm technically graduating in November. So I'm doing ah. an independent study. Yes. Awesome. Congratulations. Are you excited to get things wrapped up? Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> it's an understatement. Yeah, it's going to feel weird. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And for the audience. So Stephanie and I met actually, you did some guest speaking for our program, which is global energy management, speaking on a number of things that we're going to discuss today, but your story and your message and just your willingness to help people in certain situations was just super compelling to me. And I just said, this needs to be shared with more people. And so, yeah, which again is how we got in touch and, and here we are today. So again, I thank you so much for coming on and excited for the conversation. So where are you joining us from today? Um, so I'm in Chicago suburbs. I'm in Naperville. Chicago. Okay. So I've, well, I've been in Chicago. So when I worked in Pennsylvania, I would fly from Calgary to Chicago a lot of times, and then from Chicago to Pittsburgh. And doesn't Chicago have like the craziest airport where it's like a long, it's either like the longest, it's a big tunnel or something with lights. So for some yeah. reason, I just thought of this. <laughs> yeah, it has this. So that's O'Hare that you're thinking of. Yeah, that's right. Almost like you're at Disney World, like Epcot Center or something. Yeah, it's real kind of, yeah, trippy lights. Yeah. In a long time since I've even gone through O'Hare. A lot of the traveling I've done in the past seven years was just from Houston to Chicago. Right. So that's the Southwest and that's always Midway. Right. Yeah. I don't know why. And then actually, I think too, I had a gentleman on my podcast who his first experience in the United States was touching down in Chicago. And I want to say he was either from Pakistan or... Oh, I'm drawing a blank. But anyway, from the Middle East, came here, and his first touchdown was in Chicago Airport. And he said the thing that he'll never forget is how nice the bathrooms were in the United States. And it was like the funniest thing, you know, as we take things like that for granted, right? And some airports have decent bathrooms, and some are really nice. But apparently, Chicago's are like over the top nice, or they were for him. And so every time, you know, he talks to someone about his experience coming to the U.S., he's like, I can't believe the bathrooms in Chicago O'Hare Airport. They're just amazing. Yeah. So it was really, really funny. And he just, I'll never forget that. But <laughs> I don't know if you can agree or not. But well, that'll kind of make you think just more in general, like, like, wow, the interaction that you have with somebody, yeah, just might be <laughs> something totally out there that they'll remember forever that doesn't even yeah. 
exactly (laughs) you've been your next time i'm there i will take note (laughs) take note yeah and just like have a sense of gratitude when you go into the bathroom like this does not happen everywhere right you know that's a great way to think about it absolutely (laughs) yeah exactly so chicago is it starting to get cool there because right now we're recording it's the end of almost october now is it getting chilly up there It is. So we are at that interesting part of the year where you wake up, it's really, really cold, don't want to get out of bed, but you don't Mm. have to on in the house because it's going to be 79 degrees, you know, that's part of the day and yeah, beautiful days and and then chilly nights again. So yeah, sweatshirt weather, layers, a lot of layers. Yes. I tend to miss the seasons being from Canada. Are the leaves starting to change color? I would imagine. A little bit. So it's been really dry up here. This I'm looking at my window right now to see. Yeah. <laughs> it's been really dry here actually this year. So I don't know if we're going to get a lot of change, but I agree with you. So I you know when, when I was down in Houston, yeah, from 2013 to 2020, fall is what I really missed mm-hmm. being in the Midwest. And it almost, it felt like there's something I need to see about the changing of the seasons to kind of change my soul, I guess, from you yes. know, more of active into that winter. So yeah, missing the fall is really a gap in Houston for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm definitely excited to talk about your time in Houston. I know you spent quite a bit of time here, but before we keep going, I do have to highlight some fascinating technology provided by our sponsor, Technip FMC. Their new and integrated iComplete ecosystem is digitally enabled and delivers efficiency benefits by dramatically reducing components and connections while simultaneously providing real-time data to operators about the well-pad operations. TechNip FMC is continuing to push the limits in order to achieve full frack automation. To discover more about all the benefits of iComplete, click the link in the show notes or check them out on LinkedIn. Also, we're doing our monthly happy hours here in Houston. Check out OGGN.com for more details on all our events. And if you haven't noticed, we're continuing to pump out different podcasts covering different topics from technology, ESG, leadership, just about anything you can think of related to energy. We have a podcast on it. So please visit OGGN.com and check out all the podcasts. There's got to be a podcast for everyone out there. I promise you. So anyway, Stephanie, back to you. So before we get diving into your story, I'm always curious to ask people because this kind of helps break the ice and just get to really peel back the onion pretty quick. So it's actually Thursday today. So assuming tomorrow you have no plans, what does an ideal Friday night look like to you? Assuming you had all the money in the world, you could travel anywhere in the world in a matter of minutes. Like if you could paint the perfect picture on a Friday night, what would that look like for you? What would you spend your time doing and who would you do it with? Oh, wow. That's a great question. So, you know, really has another layer to it with like no, no time and no money requirements. So yeah, I'm honestly, I'm a pretty simple girl. So I love reading. I love writing and I love spending time with like one or two people and getting into really pretty deep conversations. So somewhere out in nature, ideally. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere you know, warmer. I do like the warmer climate. So okay. yeah, I would, I would definitely be, be somewhere there. I'd say with my daughter, my sister, some close friends from church, really anyone I could sit and have a good conversation with, spend some time reading my Bible, writing. Yeah. I'm, I'm a pretty simple girl these days. Hey, and that's totally fine. There's no right answer, right? It's like, what do you love to do? And that's, again, I think it's a beautiful thing to spend time with loved ones dig deep, you know, and write and be creative. I think it's, I mean, heck, that sounds like a wonderful Friday night to me. So you said have some deep conversations. Have you always been a deep conversation? Like, have you always enjoyed that kind of stuff with people? Oh yeah. Yeah. I've always been, people would have definitely said I was shy 
growing up. And I think that was a little misunderstood because it was, you know, what once we would sit down, I can sit down and talk to anyone just about anything, but in a bigger crowd, I'm going to be one who's going to sit back and observe and listen and kind of think and process that way. So I think it's like the extroverted introvert or the introverted extrovert, you know, I can definitely fit in in both places. But yeah, you'll get to know about me much more in a one on one conversation, really like what we're doing here. Yeah, no, that's great. So well, that I'm curious, and where are you from originally? So I am from Chicago, Naperville, originally. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was born and raised here and yeah, lived here for my first 32 years until I got the transfer down to Houston. Right. So what, what was it? What's it like growing up in Chicago? You know, I really enjoyed it. So, you know, it never occurred to me that people's parents like didn't take the train and go to work downtown every day, like what my dad did. So, you know, spent a lot of time being able to to go downtown, enjoy things like Lake Michigan, you know, great restaurants, great museums, a lot of culture there. You know, it never occurred to me that people thought Chicago is a dangerous place. Ah, okay. <laughs> that was never my experience. So it really was when I moved to Houston, people were, oh my gosh, you know, Chicago, you must be tough. You must <laughs> this and that. And I really honestly didn't experience a lot of that. The suburb I was raised in, Naperville was always known as, you know, like the best place to raise your kids, great schools, sort of that very sheltered and, and protected almost, especially compared to the city that we were right next to. Gotcha. Um, honestly, that, that kind of dovetails into a lot of my story or why, <laughs> you know, sort of my journey for from where I started to where I ended up, you know, a lot of privilege, I would say in this area and a lot of I didn't even realize a lot of what happened in the world around me. Ah, you know, and I think that's fair to say because, so I live in Katy, Texas, which is, you know, it's a nice area in the suburbs, lots of young professionals, you know, lots of, you know, mothers that stay at home and are really engaged with their kids' school and it's all about the kids. And so it's interesting because here in our, I call it like the Katy bubble, you know, if there's an unusual car driving on a road in Katy, you'll have the Katie mom group text going, freaking out because there's someone unusual driving in this suburb. And it's like, wait. And so like my wife, she has, you know, some properties up in acres homes and in certain areas within Houston that like you would never text anyone to say, who's that car? It's just another, you know, just another day in the neighborhood. And so people here and they're like, Oh my goodness, Katie's getting so dangerous. What are we going to do? What are we, how are we going to protect our kids? And it's like, we are like the lowest crime rate in the like nation, like, why are you guys freaking out? And so it's, you know, that like kind of privileged bubble thing. It's my wife and I were talking about it yesterday. So it's kind of ironic that you mentioned it today, but it's interesting. And what's also interesting is you've kind of identified that as being, you know, part of your story, which we're going to dive into. And so, but you, so you grew up in Chicago, you said for 32 years, you said roughly. Yeah. And then you ended up in Houston. And so being in Houston now, I don't meet too many people from Chicago. So how did that transpire? Yeah, so I never sought out to work in the oil and gas industry whatsoever. I just always kind of, you know, my, my whole life was like, you know, check the boxes. And it was, hey, I'm going to go to college. Okay, I'm going to go work in an office. Okay, I'm going to do something in business. I don't know what, but all the adults I see in my life are in business and they go to an office. So that's what I'm going to do. Right. <laughs> really, I, there, there was not much more thought. I get it. 
I got my first job actually delivering a pizza to an, an admissions office at the local university. And that's you know how I got my first professional job and just kind of went from there. So, you know, yeah, I never really sought out for one industry or one sort of career path. I just thought, okay, you know, I'm going to work in an office. Sure. Uh, long story short, I wound my way into human resources, which again, most people just kind of land there. <laughs> you do this and HR, right? Yeah. So I got into human resources for an oil and gas construction company, small office here in the suburbs of Chicago. And how that even came about is this company, which is no longer in existence with the name that it was when I worked for them. They grew by acquiring a bunch of very small, different like engineering construction companies. So that was one of the field offices I started doing HR. So I just started answering the phones in the benefits department, doing his orientations for the people who come and work in this small office. And eventually I started taking interest in the HR policies. So this has really been a cornerstone in my entire career. It's like, I'll raise my hand for the assignments that nobody else wants or that they think for you. Boring because I actually enjoy it. So, you know, it's doing technical writing and it's looking at essentially going through the processes of all these different acquisition groups for their human resources and getting their best practices put together. Okay. I was like, oh, you know, that sounds kind of interesting. And there's all these kind of high level people that don't have the time to do this. So yeah, I'll coordinate it. Yeah. So that was a way for me to start getting to know higher level leaders in different business units of the organization, you know, starting to get more into a corporate level. Well, you know, it just so happens that right at that time, the company I worked for was acquiring a company larger than them. Oh, wow. They were going to have a whole bunch of new policies and procedures come in. And they said, Hey, do you want to move down to Houston? Come move to the corporate office. We'll get you down here. We're going to, you know, we'd like for you to work on these policies for the new acquisition company too, and for more than just HR, you know, for the entire business system. So great. Yeah. So I packed up my eight, then 18 month old daughter, my then husband, we packed in the car and didn't look back. So that was in 2013. And yeah, that was really honestly when everything crazy started happening in my life was when I got down there. Interesting. So like you said, you basically are like, Hey, opportunity comes up. I've only ever lived in Chicago. Why not? Right. It seems like a good opportunity. Houston, plenty of opportunity, especially in oil and gas. So you let, you get here, but you drive here, right? You basically just picked up, drove here. So yeah, describe coming here, what the transition was like and you know, what business was like, and, and then we'll keep going from there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like I said, I got down there in 2013 with my young daughter and my then husband. It was an amazing whirlwind to start. So, you know, you get the glitz and glamour of the oil and gas world in the corporate environment. (laughs) I very quickly learned how to become a process auditor, Okay, which sent me all over the world. I mean, I spent time in the Middle East. I was was jet setting all over the place. You know, really, I was feeling myself. I mean, I'm okay. You know, I've made it. Now I, you know, I'm at this corporate office that we used to sit in the little field office. Oh, you know, what they're doing in the woodlands. And you know, yeah. now here I am. And now you made it. You're at the, the tippy top. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I just was really, yeah, feeling quite strong in my own strength and abilities, getting quite the ego, to be honest. I mean, yeah. And audit managers and leaders that I used to really look up to and then you know be able to say, hey, hey, I'm not doing this right, or we need to, you know, to make some adjustments here. I really, yeah, my my ego got quite inflated and I was 
successful, if you will, in all of the ways that kind of check the boxes. Yes. At the same time, for as good as my life looked in, on Instagram and on LinkedIn and around the playdates I would go to in the woodlands, yes. my, my life was actually really falling apart. And nobody, including myself, even really knew what to do with it. And I'll kind of go back to where I was talking about you know, growing up real privileged, very sheltered. Yes. And a lot of that, that checking the box. So as I was moving down to Houston at that same time, I was going through some mental health issues and this is all just kind of the perfect storm of a lot of life changes happening at once. So I've got move, I've got a marriage that is not going as, as well as I would like it to a lot of conflict there was going through some postpartum mental health issues that was diagnosed actually as bipolar disorder. So you know, right at that point, I start you know, seeing a therapist when I get down to Texas. And yeah, I just, I don't know a whole lot about the area or who I'm going to. I just, okay, you know, I've got great insurance and they said I can go here to this doctor and I'm going to check the box and I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed, I'm supposed to be doing for my health. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing for my wellness. Right. So the part I'm showing everybody on the outside is, wow, she moved to corporate. She's doing great. She's traveling. She's starting school, grad school. I mean, everything that you could ever want to see for an accomplished mid 30 something I was doing. Right. So in Stephanie, not to cut you off, but I'm curious, I just want to stay on that point really quick. So you were already, there were some challenges that you were facing, like while the transition was happening, moving from Chicago through here, like you said, you know, some marital issues, you know, it's just like you said, some mental challenges. And so was coming here, were you able to kind of, I guess, distract yourself from those by just working hard and then, you know, feeding the ego with the success, quote unquote, or the perception of success? Like, was that something that you were like, was it like a coping mechanism kind of thing? Or like, can you kind of describe that a bit? Absolutely. So yes, it was very easy for me to hide the things that were not going well, because I had so much else going on. Yeah. Okay. First of all, being far away from family. So that was a big thing. So I didn't have that accountability for, you know, Hey, you're, you're acting different or something's off. You know, nobody in Houston knew really anything different. Yeah. Right. You know, I had some of those life changes that people were able to see that made it like, okay, you know, she just moved. Yeah. That's a hard transition. You know, she's got a young daughter, she's trying to get into daycare, you know, she's, she's stressed. She's got those things travels a lot. So, you know, all of those things that look like burdens, it was very easy to pass off. Oh yeah. You know, that's why things aren't working out. That's um, this and that it started to get a little harder to hide those things when I was traveling a lot. Okay. I would travel with a team of people from my quality group. And those people really did become like family to me. Yeah. All of down in the corporate office, none of us were from Houston. So I had people from all over the country, really all over the world that kind of became my family down there because we did travel all the time and because we were all kind of in that same boat. So as I would travel with people, they would notice that things would be off with me. You know, we'd go to different time zones and I really would struggle with, you know, circadian rhythms and things like that. So like being really in the Middle East, it was hard to to get on track and get adjusted there. I know when I was taking meds at a certain time, dietary issues that would you know, kind of mess with my mental health, things like that. So, okay. so I had some friends that would notice things that were going on. You know, by that point, I was you know headed towards divorce as well. So, you know, I had people I could talk to 
But I guess there was just still a gap, you know, right. And then once again, I'm, I'm checking off all the boxes, I'm going to therapy, I'm taking the prescriptions, you know, every time I go to the doctor, you know, I'm, I'm still not feeling well, okay, well, here, take more. Okay, you know, try this combination. Okay. And after a while, it was like, by that point, I was already getting hooked. So yeah. on some pretty strong, you know, anti anxiety medicines, and you know, things that are really just addictive, but I'm an accomplished person. I can still show up to work. I can still, you know, kind of patch these these things together. So between being able to, you know, do well enough and having enough people on my team and on my side at work to kind of push me through and help me out, honestly, it really just bought me more time until things completely crumbled. And I know, you know, their hearts were in a great loving place. And I would have not had any inkling that I would want to tell people what was wrong. You know, I want to keep all these things. Of course. And looking back, if, you know, like you said, cause family, you didn't have much family around and, and a lot of your, I guess, distant family were your coworkers. And, and so, you know, consider them friends and you probably had some good conversation and, and began to build pretty, I would say deep relationships with them. If someone would have come to you and been like, Aside from just like, hey, are you feeling okay? Yeah, okay. Just, you know, want to make sure. But if someone were really sit you down and say, Stephanie, like, I know something's wrong. Like, I want to help you. Would you have been okay with that? Or would you have said, oh, no, no, no. Like, I don't need, no, this is not, it's not as bad as you think. It's just, you know, part of the stress that I'm going through or whatever. Like, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I do. In hindsight, I would like to say that I would be more receptive or or see that there's a different way. Knowing myself and how stubborn I was and how I didn't have any sort of faith or anything to lean back on, I don't see how it could have gone any other way for me, Yeah, to be honest. But that is a lot of what motivates me to kind of dig deeper when I look at situations that other people might be in now. That's what kind of drives my work now is... You know, so, so what is that gap, you know, because, because I need to answer it for myself too. You know, what would it have taken for me back then to not have to go through everything that I did? So yeah, I'm not sure to be yeah, honest. No, and, and, yeah. And the reason I asked is because I think a lot of people, myself included is, is especially if you've gotten to know someone over a certain period of time. And if you see behavioral changes or, you know, just different habits it's always like, where's the line? And should I just let their family deal with it? Because I don't want to be that person. I don't want to ruin a relationship. And so, you know, to add value to the audience, like that's what I was trying to see is like, you know, if someone at this, someone's listening to this and say, you know what, like, I, it's kind of weird. Like, I feel like they're talking to me because I witnessed one of my friends or someone that I work with going through this. And I don't know how to approach him without it, you know, for lack of better words, you know, piss him off. Do you have any suggestions or thoughts just on that? That again, that's a great question. And I know the way I'm able to really reach out to people who are kind of in that place where I was at is the fact that I have been there and that I'm very open about it. So my best advice to somebody who's listening now who maybe has not gone through it, but is listening to this, keep an open mind. And you can even have a conversation with that person who might be landing on your heart and just say, you know, I listened to this podcast with this girl who, you know, you just, you, you wouldn't believe, you know, her story just, it's so common, you know, mm-hmm. and, and kind of bridging the gap that way or saying, I haven't gone through this personally, but I heard this story that's really kind of changing my mind or has me curious, you know, what do you think? And kind of yeah. you know, engaging people that way, just off the top of my head, letting them know that you're a trusted person, 
like, hey, you you might not understand exactly what I'm going through, but you're going to listen without judgment. I'm not going to get in trouble for telling you what's going on. I know you're going to help me. Yeah, no, I love that. And I think the biggest word there is trust, right? I think is if you can, you know, that's, you know, I'm in sales and the biggest thing that I try and achieve is trust with my clients and, and customers and with, you know, people within my community and network, because that's sometimes often the hardest. And it's with any relationship, whether it's your marriage with your kids, coworkers, like trust is, is so important. So I, I'm, I'm glad you, you brought that up. So, but no, that's a, that's a great answer. And I, and I think that's, you know, spot on. So, you know, going back to the journey. So kind of going through some things, obviously traveling a lot, you got your, you know, going through the divorce. At what point was there like sort of a pivot to where, you know, things got even worse and, and then what happened from there? Yeah. So like I said, I had been going to a therapist and had gotten on several prescriptions to treat bipolar disorder. And, you know, in that, you know, the medication management, (laughs) that they'll call it, I was in and out of the mental hospital quite a bit. So, you know, these meds are not working. I need to like be somewhere. Yeah. Me and more, you know, be in more intensive therapy and in this and that. So I was bouncing in and out of inpatient, outpatient, you know, my company was great with giving me time off and they're very, very gracious. Yeah. Good. With allowing me that time. And I wouldn't say that was necessarily a company policy, but it was definitely the boss and the leader I was working for had that mentality. So I owe a lot to him. He's a a great business leader and he had a lot of compassion. So I appreciated what he was able to to help me with there. That's amazing there. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Absolute blessing. Cause I, I don't know where I would be if I didn't have that group of people, but yeah, so it all really kind of came to a head at the end of 2016 and the amount of prescriptions that I were on, it made it really hard to function normally with school, with work, with being a parent. So I turned to a lot of illegal drugs to kind of counteract how I was feeling with the pills. So they would make me feel really slow or foggy or sleepy. So I'm going to hit the streets and find something to perk me up during the day and then to get that rest at night. So I'm going to go back on those pills and what I need at nighttime. And it would just became a very vicious cycle very quickly. You know, and then of course I was dealing with a lot of emotional pain too. So there were a lot of things I didn't want to think about or remember or yeah. go through. I just knew I wanted to be better and be healed. And I didn't want to mess with any of that actual healing. So it was covered up, covered and it was a cycle that went down very quickly. You know, I spending time in rehab. I met people who had connections to things and working in oil and gas. I had a lot of money. So it was like this perfect storm to where I eventually was arrested in March of 2017 and was incarcerated for three months while I waited like a pretrial diversion. And then I was in drug court. Mm. Wow. I could not imagine. And so the beautiful thing about this is you're here with today, you know, doing well, like I said, you know, heard the story throughout our, you know, while listening, when you did the discussion with our class you know, you just certainly don't have to go through the details while you're, you know, during that time, but talk to us about how, you know, when that was finished up, the transition out and which kind of leads you to what you're doing now. Cause I think that's the beautiful thing. And the most commendable is how you battled back. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. And so I'd love for you to share that part. Definitely. So yeah, my time in jail was definitely like the, the best thing I never want to happen again. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. I could uh, coin that phrase. So 
I don't know any other way that God would have gotten my attention to make this transition back Mm -hmm. up. I just, I'm a person, I've got to see it. I'm going to push it to the limit, which is really cool in some regards and can be really detrimental (laughs) in other ways. So while I was incarcerated, I mean, everything changed for me. So, you know, I lost everything very quickly and all of the issues that I was having that we had just talked about came to the light. So, you know, all of a sudden my, my photo is splashed Montgomery County reporter, you know, everyone knows where I'm at. I had to write a letter to that wonderful boss I told you about, you know, it's stamped inmate correspondence. I mean, there's no where that's coming from or, oh, wow, we haven't heard from Stephanie in a couple of weeks. Where is she at? You know, she's a no call, no show. You know, people figure out where you're at and what's going on. And I'll be honest, Justin, it was a complete relief. It was like, I could finally rest. And I'm like, okay, it, I don't have to worry about holding on to this job anymore that honestly, I don't even care about. Yeah. I don't have to hide this addiction. I, I can't even be on all the medications that I'm supposed to be on while I'm in here. And it was really a place of rest because I knew that there was a lot of chaos going on out there and I couldn't touch any of it. I couldn't do anything about it. And it was a great time for me to, to regroup, reflect, you know, figure out what I wanted to be coming out of there. Cause I knew I was not going to be walking back into the same situation. And there, there'd be some times where I'd be sitting around in the day room and I would look at the clock and say, Oh, wow. I know there, my, my old team is in a meeting right now. I'm glad mm. I'm not in that meeting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was really like, okay, you know, I can kind of get back out and, and do anything now. Right. So I, wow. I, I had this, I was hopeful. I found the Lord. I had, gotten myself cleaned up from, from my addiction. So, you know, here's kind of a funny side story is, you know, in jail, they don't give you obviously any of the narcotic drugs that you're prescribed. And I got very little of what I was supposed to be prescribed otherwise for the bipolar. Okay. I was feeling better. And I'm like, how's this adding up? Like I should be depressed. I should be anxious. And I'm, you know, I'm not on my meds. I'm feeling better. Wow. So hmm. when I eventually got out and was going through my drug court program, you know, judge said, okay, well, I see you're not taking your meds. You need to go to the doctor and see if you really need to be on it. Went to this doctor at the free clinic, old as dirt. You know, I don't have insurance by this point. I have no money. I had to go to the, the county clinic and he assesses me and he goes, you're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. And I haven't t- taken any medicine since. Wow. That is crazy. Um, for that alone, <laughs> I would go through the experience again. No kidding. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. So if that helps anybody, no, not saying get off your meds, but <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, yeah, sometimes less is better. Right. And, yeah, and in your yeah. case, and that's the crazy thing and, or, or the, you know, just the very interesting piece about mental health and, you know, we've seen it now. I think it's becoming, I hate to not mainstream, but it's being discussed more and it's there's more awareness around it to where I think people are more open to talk about it. This is kind of my observation, but I think to some degree, everyone deals with some sort of mental issues and whether it's extreme, whether it's very little, I think deep down inside our, you know, genetics, we all have some, you know, we're not perfect. And we have these environmental factors and whether these other stressors that really can play tricks with our head. And it's interesting, like you said, once you kind of, you really just step back from everything and you're sitting down and, you know, that day and you were like, wow, like I feel good. And then all of a sudden it's like, I'm taking less medication. And perhaps there was just less 
consume, like you were being consumed with less and therefore like your mind could kind of just unravel itself and heal within. It's a fascinating, you know, science and part of life that I don't think we quite understand. But the sad part is, is it's like you hear so often, it's like, oh, you go to the doctor because I'm experiencing this. And in a very common case is like, oh, I just want something to give me that extra edge. You go to the doctor, I can't focus. Oh, here's some Adderall. And then next thing you know, you're crushing Adderalls and then you're crushing something else to fall asleep. And then it's just, it's just so accessible. And, you know, it's sad because then people go into these spirals. And I have friends growing up that have gone through that as well. And I watched them go from, oh, broke my leg, got some opioids. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, they're in some serious trouble. And yeah, you can just, again, you understand, but it's what I think is my, my point I'm trying to make is it's like, it's, it's crazy how we as humans can, you know, without all the extra stuff can actually heal and, and do things ourselves, but it's so hard given all the access to so much stuff that we have here in North America. But again, I think it's amazing that you haven't had to take anything for so long. I think it's awesome. It is such a blessing. I would have never, ever dreamt of stopping any medications on my own. And then it would be, Oh, Stephanie's not being compliant. Oh, she, you know, again, <laughs> yeah. going back to, to checking the box and doing everything that I thought I was supposed to be doing and doing the right thing and you're know, trusting the right, the experts. And, but yeah, it, it is stepping back and, you know, clearing out some of that noise and saying, okay, you know, what am I fighting all this for anyway? You know, I was sitting in jail and I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, I probably have packages stacked up halfway to my door right now, you know, shopping and things that are waiting for me. My stuff's not bailing me out. My jewelry's not bailing me out. My 401k is not bailing. I mean, like all of the things that I'm sitting here working so hard to accumulate and my mental health is deteriorating over. And it's like, for what? Yes. So it, it, especially, so you, you know, you'd asked about my transition back out. So I'll, I'll kind of talk on that a little bit because it, it gets to an interesting revelation. So, okay. so you know, I, I got out of jail after three months. They finally sentenced me to drug court, which is like a year long rehab program. And so it's really designed, you know, for people like me in mind. So, okay. you know, so see where, you know, I'm, I'm someone who kind of had a bad bout of things, you know, not a, not a bad person, but I just, you know, it had, it had these struggles are going to put me through the rehab program, get this expunged from my record and be able to move on. And like, like nothing happened. Right. Mm-hmm. That was the idea. <laughs> so your know, reality was a lot harder. So when I got out of jail, I realized that life was a lot harder on the outside than it was on the inside. You know, and so I wasn't worried about a whole lot. I could focus on my healing. I could rest. I could, I didn't have a lot of that noise going on. You know, when I got out, all of a sudden I had you know, the bills of somebody who was making six figures who no longer had a job. You know, by that point I had divorced my first husband and gotten remarried. So my, my second husband, he was in jail. He was about to go to prison. So I'm all alone, you know, trying to maintain a house, trying to, you know, keep all of these things, trying to get through my drug court program, which is very intense, you know, and it needs to be, but it's a lot of therapy during the day. It's a lot of, you know, individual therapy group, having to go to court every week, trying to find a ride because I got a DWI and I can't drive you know, not even really having time to work, let alone who wants me. So, yeah. you know, I used to talk to some of my old contacts at oil and gas, like, oh yeah, you know, we're glad you're doing great. You're so happy, but you know, kind of crickets when it comes to, oh, Hey, you know, did you need any help with that project we were working on before? And 
and I can see, obviously, you know, I had been through a lot. I had broken down a lot of trust with people and was not in a place where I could just go back and, and take on that kind of work. Now that said, my struggles that I went through from this point on are really driving everything that I do now in terms of my education, my work and everything moving forward, because there is such a gap between people, those of us who have gotten caught and those of us who haven't, because really there's a fine line that close. It can be really any one of us have a slip up and and get in that situation. So I eventually had to, you know, got to put food on the table. So I took a job for $8 an hour as a hostess at the new Mexican restaurant that went up, up the street that I could get to easily. I was seating a lot of lunchtime guests that I used to work with. That was, you know, swallow your pride right there when you see, you know, a bunch of executives and those people I used to audit and those people I used to think I was so big and bad around, you know, humble myself again, you know, walking back their menus. But released from the global energy management program at University of Colorado, Denver, you know, I was didn't drop my classes properly. You know, when I was incarcerated, I didn't think to do that. So I had a bunch of withdrawals. I had a, a one point something GPA trying to pay back the tuition. I mean, everything that I had built, worked so hard to build up and, you know, check the boxes, all that accomplishment and things I really took for granted because I didn't work very hard to get them. I'll be honest. It was kind of expected. I did it and I didn't work hard for those things. So yeah, all, all of that fell away. And it was throughout just having a little bit more experience in the hospitality industry and having some managers kind of notice me and say, okay, you know, you're different. You know, you, you're a little bit more professional than the people we have hosting or or serving here. So I eventually was able to work my way up into a director of business administration position with the restaurant group. So, you know, okay, you know, now I'm making the salary again that can support my, my townhouse and my way of living. Okay. Now starting to get more trust back with my old colleagues because they're seeing I'm back in a position where I can, you know, do HR and payroll and handle finances and you know you kind of get that trust back. Lesson as that was trust was coming back, I found myself again like less apt to sharing my story and to sharing my vulnerabilities. And it really became a lot about, okay, how can I just put all this behind me and pretend like it never happened and you know move forward, you know, try to finish school and you know just explain this gap on my resume some other way. And it occurred to me after I tried to get my record expunged and realized I had had some bad legal advice, I guess. And I, I'm never going to be able to get this expunged from my record. So I tried to go back and work in the oil and gas industry and ended up having to consult because I couldn't get hired on, you know, as a regular employee, because I've got this on my record. So, you know, even I've, I've gone through rehab, I'm sober, I, you know, all of those things. And even honestly, when I was going through the program too, I would have been a great candidate to work because you knew I was sober. I'm getting drug tested all the time. I, you know, I've got that daily accountability. So I would have been like a model employee <laughs> for, for any office at that time, because I had all of those safeguards in place. No kidding. Yeah. But you know, I eventually got to the point as I started sharing with more people what was going on with me. This is what makes me unique. And this is what gets me a place at the table. That's a different perspective than other people might have. And I thought, you know what, I am going to embrace this. I know God has built me to be a compassionate communicator. And that's what I want to do in all facets 
of my life. So you know, whether that's taking this degree that I'm working on and turning it into a way to help people build strategies around you know, helping people, looking at diversity initiatives, looking at these kind of underserved populations that I had no heart for before I went through it. I, if you would have told me like, oh, you know, try to hire somebody who's been a felon before, I, mean, I would have had the same preconceived notions as anybody else who maybe hasn't seen it. But, you know, now that I've been through and I've gotten to really know the people in the hearts behind those people who are on probation or in drug court or addicted or in prison, it's a whole different ballgame. You, you start to see yourself in those people. You start to see your loved ones in those people and you start to see the opportunities that can come by just giving someone a chance. I am successful and able to make a difference not only because I've had people give me another chance and I've had people give me that extra boost. And I want to be a voice for those people who might not have those connections or that same kind of background of privilege. I want to give them a voice and an opportunity to say, Hey, you know what? Honestly, we are not all that different. The guy or gal sitting across from you in HR, yeah, maybe they just didn't get caught or maybe he's not talking about what they have going on right now, or maybe they're one doctor's visit away from getting that bad prescription. So it's really just, you know, it's peeling back some of those layers and looking around at what we have going on in this world and realizing we have a lot more power to help some of those issues than we think. And it all stems from being compassionate and vulnerable. Yeah, no, it's, that's so true. And so do you have any, I know if I remember correctly from the conversation we had in the past, you're working on some projects, right? Or some, some like organizations or something to help certain individuals get into a better position. Can you speak on that? If I'm remembering correctly, because it was with the other, the gentleman who spoke to, and I should have, I should add my ducks in a row more accurately, but I guess what kind of projects are, what, what are you doing specifically to help? And if people are interested in finding out more, how can they get involved or reach out because they may be in a bit of a challenging spot themselves? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I'll back up a little bit and talk about the foundation of why I even started to do this independent study in the first place. So I started with the Global Energy Management Program in 2015. Now, this is a two-year program. As you know, Justin, I'm not sure how much longer you have before you graduate, but I started with cohort 13. I don't even know how many they're on now. <laughs> I think on 20, I know I'm 23. And I, so I think there's 24 then. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of people who have come and gone through the program, got their degree and you know, able to move on very successfully. As I fought my way to get back into the program, because I only had three classes left uh, before I graduated when I became incarcerated. So I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what a waste if I don't finish this at this point. So right. um, you know, looking and realizing how much the world has changed since I started the degree program, I was almost feeling like, oh my gosh, like I feel like I need to start over. I mean, Barack Obama was still the president when I started the program. Yeah, I know Donald Trump was thinking about running (laughs) all these different uh, initiatives, you know, Paris climate agreement was really just starting to ramp up. I mean, I had been working on nuclear and oil and gas renewables was like, you know, some hippy dippy (laughs) stuff. I mean, yeah. So getting back to the program in 2020 and then in a COVID world too, I just thought, you know, I want this degree to mean 
something for this journey I've been on. I wanted to show something, a culmination of this seven years, you know, not only with what's gone on in the world, but what has changed with me personally, and especially what's changed in my heart. So the best way to do that was actually coming up with an independent study that I'm doing with Dr. Jack Mason. And he's a professor in the program who I've had a couple of times, and he's just been really gracious with me throughout this entire journey. So the independent study that I'm working on is essentially taking all of the components of the GEM program and putting it together to start a consulting business really based on strategy and value proposition design. So yeah, the intention behind it is looking at these connections between industries or people or you know market segments that might not be as apparent to the naked eye, but you know, understanding how to build strategies around these transferable skills and seeing where there's going to be future need for innovation, you know, based on where we've been in the world and where we are going, we're going to need all hands on deck and we're going to need all, all different kinds. So it's understanding where there might be people like me who, you know, I'll say I was like putting the clearance bin because, you know, I've had a lot of struggles and issues, but I'm still valuable, <laughs> right? I know I, you know, yeah. in, in some cases people could argue I'm more valuable because I've got you know, the experience of being really down in the valley, you know, combined with some education and work experience as well. So what I'm doing with Jack is really studying, you know, ways that people think and being able to organize, you know, business ideas and concepts into like different business model canvases and being able to come up with new products and services that are going to offer value. So I've been able to apply that in just about every industry that I have a passion for. So I'm doing some work with a very well-known national rehab center where I'm able to help on their innovation team with some of these strategic tools that I'm working on with my independent study, but I can also sit around and talk to them about what it's like to be an addict. And I can talk to them what it's like to be a loved one of an addict. So I'm coming in with the education and some of those tools and the experience. Also working with my church right now to start a prison and corrections ministry. So again, we'll sit and we'll kind of look at these strategic planning tools that are traditionally used in for profits. So now I've got my little church group, a nonprofit group kind of going through these same models. It's talking with some of the other professors in the program who are interested in diving deeper with prison reentry and how we can combine that with some diversity and inclusion initiatives that we're seeing really come up just in the past couple of years. So it's being able to take a degree that that should have been in energy and that I originally started to climb the ranks in an oil and gas construction company is you know thinking bigger than that. And it's it's thinking at this point, you know, I'll bring it back to oil and gas renewables, for example. You know, we're gonna have to, it's not gonna be one or the other. There's going to be a lot of gray area. And I feel that same way just about people. It's not going to be like incarcerated and addicted versus healthy. You know, there's that gray area where we're all, we're all broke and we all have. Yes. And it's understanding if we can collaborate and connect as people, what we're going to be able to do in the energy industry. I mean, there's no shortage of climate resiliency that we're going to need to take on. There's going to be a lot of grief that comes along with, with some of these climate change issues that we're having. And yeah, it, it can't be a, all one or the other. You know, gas is not just going to go away overnight. We're not all going to switch to solar. Every type of energy has its own 
issues. And I think at the core of it, it's going to be, you know, how can we all get along and communicate with compassion? Yes. No, I couldn't agree more. And a lot of the conversations that I have with folks is, again, it's it, it cannot be this game of this or that. It has to be this and that and that and that. <laughs> and whether it's, like you said, with people within different energy sources, different technologies, I mean, the more that we can, you know, break down those barriers and integrate with one another and leverage each other's skills, experiences, technologies, innovations, that's what I feel like is going to help us through this, what, you know, quote unquote, energy transition. It's going to take everybody and, you know, working together. And, you know, it sounds like you've set up a lot of great initiatives working on your study. Jack obviously is, is helping you with that, which I think is awesome for him to do that with you. And it's amazing, you know, again, just your story and where you're at. And I mean, I think the sky's the limit for you, especially through with now having that experience. Like you said, you can sit on either side of the table and understand and then have a sense, you know, great degree of empathy and compassion for everyone and I think a lot of people, you know, could just use a conversation with you to perhaps even help them through some of the things that they're experiencing, which I guess is my next question. If, if there's someone listening who just at the end of the day needs help with anything that we talked about today, I mean, are you open to chatting with people or is there a certain vehicle that you're using to, to sort of funnel some of this in and, and help or can you share that? Yeah. Yeah. So I, first of all, I, I would love to talk to anybody who is interested in whether you're having personal issues, you know, going through some of the prescription or the mental health career, whatever it is, I can really talk on just about any topic. And I yeah. connect with anyone. I can get you my website, Justin. So yeah. I've got, you know, in addition to what I'm building with my consulting work, I also have my ministry. So that's confident hope revealed in him. That's one of the best ways to reach me. I've got a contact, contact me on that website. But what I'm doing on there too, I'm, I'm writing a book about my experiences. Good for you. Um, awesome. On there. And really the mission of that ministry is all, it's all kind of connected with what I'm doing in business as well. But I want to be that Christian I needed before I was a Christian. So again, it's just, it's letting people know that there is a sympathetic ear out there. There's someone who you know, maybe doesn't look like the traditional person of who's been through those valleys that I'm, I'm a survivor and I am really only where I'm at today because of those broken moments that I lived through. So I am all about celebrating those and yeah. Yeah, connecting and collaborating in, in any way that might come to mind. Awesome. Well, what we can do is if you send me the links, any links, I can put them in the show notes. That way it's, it's super easy for people to scroll and click and, and get in touch. And with that said, I do want to close up with one last question. And if you've listened to the podcast, you may have heard it, but do you have any daily habits or routines that contribute to your success that help you stay focused or kind of just keep you you know, on track and just continuing to move forward? Is there anything that comes to mind that you do every single day that is that sort of that core element of success for you? Yeah. Yeah. So I wish I could say I was really obedient and disciplined person every single day. And I try to be mostly <laughs> yeah. definitely starting time in my Bible and just you know, really kind of getting grounded and centered and, and thankful, you know, gratitude for the fact that I am here and that I am able to share a story and trying to approach the day with who, 
who can I help? What is my mission today? Also daily exercise. So I'm, I'm hooked on my Peloton. <laughs> I love uh, Pilates. So yeah. um, you'll rarely find me starting the day without having done some of that physical time. It's, it's just a great way for me to reset my mind. And, you know, if nothing else, I can, you know, check that off the list. It kind of gets that itch for the uh, checklist. Yes. No, as, as a huge advocate of health and fitness, I, I can definitely align with that. Getting in a little bit of a morning exercise or just getting the body moving, getting the blood flowing again, it's super for anybody. So it sounds like you've definitely taken that on and yeah, Peloton's taking over <laughs> during COVID. They were a company that did extremely well. And so, yeah, I know tons of people that have jumped on the Peloton and just love it. So uh, that's really cool, Stephanie. I'll give you my Peloton name too for the show notes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I'm sure there's someone that would want to race you on there. You, you look pretty lean and mean. So I think you'd, you'd probably crush it on the Peloton. So, but Stephanie, this has been absolutely amazing. And before we do log off, I do need to take a moment to tell everyone about some upcoming OGGN events. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, Editor-in-Chief here at OGGN. Sorry for the interruption, folks, but I just want to share a few quick things for November. First, our industrial mixers here in Houston, November 17th. It's usually the last Thursday of each month, but because of the holidays, we're having to move stuff around. We're also launching a new live stream, OGGN Unscripted, on November 16th. We'll be at the Rockwell Automation Fair November 10th to 11th. You can come free. We'll have a live podcast there. We'll be hosting some panels. And then we'll also be at the 23rd World Petroleum Congress 5th through 9th, once again with live podcast and hosting a couple of panels. For this information and everything else, just follow us on social. Check us out on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. And if you go to LinkedIn, go ahead and join the OGGN Street Team. I'll see you again next month. Thank you. And again, Stephanie, it's been a pleasure. Is there any closing last words, anything on the top of your head that you want to share with everybody before we log off? Just want to thank you all so much for listening today and just be encouraged wherever you're at right now, whether you're at a high point or a low point, just be encouraged that however you're feeling or whatever your situation is, it's not forever and it will definitely turn to good. Oh, this has been super inspiring. Thanks for the audience to all the listeners. If you want to reach out to Stephanie, there'll be links in the show notes. If you want to hit me up, if you have any questions, let me know. Appreciate all the support. And always remember when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks everybody. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.